Looking for a job is not easy. <laughs> you gotta set up the resume. First of all, you gotta find a, a decent job to apply for before you even do that. Ah, uh, yeah, it's some rough waters to navigate. But today, don't worry, I got your back. We're gonna learn more about finding your next career. Thanks for listening and subscribing to Learning More. It's Russ with you. Okay, I've got to warn you in advance here. I'm about to give you some information, say some data. And, you know, this show can be around for, for 20 years and you can listen to it. When we're recording this, it's right around the great resignation or the big quit, as, as they're calling it. Uh, 2021 holds the record for the highest monthly average resignations, about 3.95 million per month. That's insane. That many people are quitting their jobs. Well, what are they doing next? Why are they quitting? Well, okay, those there's a lot of questions there. But the bigger issue here, I think, is what do they do once they quit? What do they do to find a new job? Today, we're going to answer that question. And I am joined by Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of The Career Toolkit essential skills for success that no one taught you. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, okay. Uh, essential skills that no one taught you. <laughs> what are the skills? <laughs> we need to learn these. There are 10 skills broken into three sections. And these skills, these aren't things I just dreamt up one night. This comes from research done by multiple universities about what skills companies want in the 21st century. Okay. So the 10 skills, section one, career, how to create and execute a career plan. Second skill, working effectively, managing your manager, understanding corporate culture. Skill number three, interviewing, not just from the candidate side, many of us have to hire our coworkers or subordinates, and no one's trained us how to do that. So knowing how to mm -hmm. interview effectively on both sides of the table. Second section is leadership and management. So we have leadership skills, and then management, both the people side of management and the process side of management. And these skills, by the way, are not just for people with senior titles. Even the most junior person needs to lead or manage others at times, and companies want this skill in everyone, even the most junior people. Third section, interpersonal dynamics, has four skills, communication, networking, negotiation, and ethics. And again, these are the skills companies say they want in all of their workers. Okay. So I got to ask this question. Why don't they teach us these things? <laughs> like, <laughs> Great question. If you think back to when you were growing up, you probably heard someone say, your network is so important. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And everyone would tell us this, but no one told us how to do it. It's for historical reasons. High school is a relatively modern invention going back about 150 years. And it was designed as we left the farms for the industrialized workforce to teach us the reading, writing, and arithmetic so we could go work in factories. You didn't have to be a great networker to work in a factory. So high school really hasn't adapted to a more modern world. They're starting to, STEM skills, for example, but haven't thought about these skills or financial literacy. College, it's a little older, goes back about 900 years, but it's run by professors. And now I like professors, I teach with them all the time, but professors are very narrow in their focus. A professor of marketing says, I know all about marketing. I have my PhD in marketing, I'm a marketing expert. And I and my other expert friends have decided, if you wanna come here and study marketing, you have to take this set of classes, some introductory, intermediate, advanced. And if you take all these classes, we'll give you a piece of paper that says you have achieved a bachelor's in marketing. That is not saying you're a good marketer, it's certainly not saying you're a good employee. It just says you have acquired this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that was fine in the 1950s when as a marketer, you sat there and your boss would say, Johnson, do this. He'd say, yes, sir, I'll get right on it. Here you go, sir. And you didn't have to think because you just sat at your desk and you were that little cog. But as we transform the workplace the last 30 or so years, you're no longer that cog in the machine. And now these other skills become more important in addition to your technical skills. And technical, I don't mean software, I mean your marketing, accounting, or your other domain skills. So college as well, universities need to catch up to the modern workforce. 
Okay. Yeah. So many of these skills I, and I've, I've hired people before I've interviewed people before, you know, in the interview process, you're correct. I, I, I wasn't trained on that. I wasn't trained on hiring. I had no classes in that in school. I just, I, I was an entrepreneur. I had to go out and figure all this stuff out on my own. And, and that's, that's not easy to, to learn these things on your own. So it's, it's great that you've put together this book. Now, here's what I was thinking of doing, Mark. We're going we're gonna to try something out here. We're going to do a little experiment uh, on, on the show here. I want to go through the entire life cycle of a person looking for a job. And I, let's talk about each one of those steps. Because with so many people, with the great resignation, um, there's a lot of people that are out there looking for a new job. And it starts really, I guess, with the resume. Your resume has one job get you the interview. Your resume is not the end story. It's not all about you. It's your elevator pitch to get you in. Now, I can tell you having hired hundreds of people, having interviewed thousands and looked at thousands upon thousands of resumes, when I get a bunch of resumes for a job, I could literally get 80, 100 resumes within a few days. The average resume is looked at for about eight to 10 seconds. You'll see varying data, but it's all around this. We're not thoroughly reading your resume. We are skimming the resume and making a very quick decision. Yes pile, no pile. I'll have a maybe pile in case my yeses aren't really working out. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Now, there's some variation. Right now, if you're hiring for, let's say, a software engineer, because those are in short supply, we're desperate for any resume that comes in, and we might focus on it a little longer. (laughs) But if it's a job where there's lots of candidates applying, we just look at for a few seconds. So you have a few seconds to sell yourself. We're skimming the resume. We're looking for key things. Your job title, the company, maybe a highlight of what you accomplished there. So you really want to make it stand out to get you into that yes pile. So there's also software that's looking at these, right? Like there's algorithms looking for keywords. How do you get on the top of that pile? And that part I hate. It's called an ATS, an Applicant Tracking System. And it's a terrible system because if you have experience with, let's say this is going to be a kind of contrived example. You've been working at McDonald's for 10 years, but someone said, we want experience working at Burger King. That ATS is going to say, oh, nope, McDonald's, that's not Burger King, doesn't count. Mm -hmm. But we all know, hey, that's the same. And so with a particular technology or discipline or skill, It's unfortunate. Some people will just add some keywords. You'll add a section to your resume where you just put in a bunch of terms just to trigger that. Of course, the best way is to avoid the ATS and avoid that pile by going through your network and going right to the hiring manager and saying, here's a resume. Your friend knows a hiring manager or a friend of a friend. It goes right to that hiring manager. When someone brings me a resume from my team, I say, okay, I'm going to look at this. That resume gets a good 30 seconds. If that person on my team says this person's worthwhile, odds are that person's getting an interview. Now, Mm. you still might have to apply and go through the ATS because there are processes, but you've already jumped that first step. Gotcha. So, okay, with the network, when you're talking to people, it, it can be a little awkward right? To, to say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for a job. Do you know anybody? Like, what are some tips for people that are trying to do that networking properly? It's awkward depending on the relationship. And here's a mistake people make. Imagine you go into a bar, you meet some people, you sit there, you chat with them. You say, Hey, it's been great chatting tonight. Listen, this weekend, I got to pack up my apartment and move. Can you guys come <laughs> over this weekend? Come on. I'll get some pizza. <laughs> that's, that's awkward to ask. Uh, yeah, but you yeah. call your best friend of 10 years. You call your friends from high school. You say, hey, listen, I'm in a bind. Can you come over and help me out? I need you to pack up. You can ask that of your friends. Say, okay, mm-hmm. yep, big ask, but it's okay. I'm here for you. So when people think networking, they think of that first case. They think, let me go meet a bunch of strangers and go, hey, stranger, I need a job. You do this for me. <laughs> I want me, me, me. But in fact, when you do networking right, when you build relationships, it's easy to say, hey, listen, I was checking out your company. There's this awesome job. Can you just pass my resume along? And when you have that relationship in place, it's easier. So the key is to build your network long before you need it. 
And I, I remember going to a networking meeting one time long ago, and there was a person that came to the networking meeting with his resume. <laughs> He's just passing it out to everyone. It was interesting that he was doing that. And I've never seen anybody else just handing out resumes like in that fashion. Um, the problem with it was he was just doing that, just handing the resume. There was no conversation there. It was just, Hey, here you go. It was almost like, you know, the, the people you pass in, in like Vegas on the street, like with the little <laughs> flyers or whatever, that doesn't work. How do you make good use of those networking style meetings? What he's doing is not networking. He's advertising. He's cold calling. Right. And that's fine if your job is to cold call because that's your job in sales. You're cold calling for yourself and that's your approach. That's fine. But don't pretend that's networking. The way to make the most of networking events is to meet people and build a relationship. The best way to do that, get to know them. Take an interest in who they are. Ask about the other person. People love talking about themselves and get to know this person and then recognize one meeting does not suddenly a relationship make. If you meet someone, you've been talking, you're saying, hey, you know, really enjoyed talking to you. Exchange business cards, exchange contact information, go meet up for coffee, reach out again, send a follow-up email and build that relationship over time. If you think about your other relationships, your personal relationships, friendships, dating relationships, They didn't happen instantly. You had to build them. And the same is true for our business relationships. Okay. So at a networking meeting, you sort of get to know like a little more about the company too, right? Like you can ask them questions about companies or if you're talking to somebody, you can ask them about that. But in many cases, you're looking at a list of postings on either, you know, LinkedIn or ZipRecruiter or something. And you're trying to figure out, is this a job that I should apply for? Is this a place I want to work? Because I I mean, I do feel like, and I'm sure you'll agree that you're auditioning them just as much as they're auditioning you. And I think that that's really important. A lot of people don't get that. But when you're going through and you're looking at these job listings, what should you be looking for? How how do you decide if this is a, a potential fit? When you're at the application stage, I'd say go broad. Figure out maybe if you want a company in a certain industry, a company of a certain size. I like the really big companies. I like a small company, maybe location. You might be able to figure out something basic like what they say about their dress code or these days probably a work from home policy. Are you five days in the office? Are you three days in the office? There are some basic things we could look, but that's more informational. Are you less than 500 people? Yes or no. You can figure that out quickly. Mm -hmm. Equally important when we decide about a job is making sure it is an environmental fit, a cultural fit. That means, do we like the people? Do we like the manager's work style? Is this the type of job where you go home at five and then you don't have to answer your phone? Or are you expected to be checking emails at night? Which one do you prefer? So we want to understand that culture. The other part, that's not in the job description, but you aren't going to be able to really assess that well until you're in the interview process. And then you have to ask about the culture, ask these questions, and also look around, keep your eyes open and read between the lines to understand Mm -hmm. what it's really like. Yeah, I always feel like uh, in going in for an interview, you learn so much by talking to the person that greets you at the door and walking through and kind of looking through the, either the, you know, the cubicles or the offices and seeing how people are working. If you don't see like personal photos and things like that, I, I always feel a little weird. <laughs> like if they don't have like stuff on their desk, those little, those little trophies and you know whatever it is on their desk. Like I feel like that maybe, maybe this isn't the right place for me. You know, it, it doesn't feel like these people are like really like want to be here. Like you're, you're going to kind of pick up that sort of, uh, sort of a vibe uh, when applying for jobs though, before we get into that interview and, 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 and talking, uh, and trying to answer questions and doing all that, let's talk about uh, the application process. And, and, and when you're looking at these jobs, I think it's really easy to read these job descriptions and think, ah, man, I'm not qualified for this. Sort of that imposter syndrome, right? Like, I can't do this. How do you get past that? And and should you get past that? Or should you only apply for jobs that you feel like are kind of not a stretch? That, that That's definitely something you can do. There's a lot of it depends in the answer yeah, because yeah. of this question. <laughs> 
We know that jobs tend to ask for unicorns. They ask for 10 years of experience with that and eight years with this and knowledge of that and this combination that is so rare. Don't worry if you don't check every box because probably no one does. Now, mm-hmm. if you're 23 and right out of college, there might be other people who check more of the boxes than you do because you're all 23. No one has 20 years experience. So one year experience with this, I'm sure someone has it. But when you're in your 30s or 40s, that's where they start asking for a lot. You're not going to match at all. On the other hand, if you say, well, hey, I match these two things. Yeah, that's that's going to be a stretch if it's two out of eight, two out of ten. <laughs> right. So my rule right. of thumb is if you are matching somewhere around three quarters of it. Now, three quarters isn't a hard and fast rule. You have to judge how likely are these combined sets of skills. And that depends on your industry and many other factors. Even your location, New York City versus Nome, Alaska, different labor pools. Right. So really, you have to use your judgment. On the one hand, I say when in doubt, apply, because applications are cheap. It's these days often just clicking a few buttons. From the other side of it, that's why I get 80, 100 resumes within two days because everyone just said, yeah, doesn't cost me <laughs> yeah, anything not, to apply. Right. <laughs> and that's why they start adding in these ATSs to scan them. Right. So it's a double-edged sword. But again, best of all, if you can go through your network, because when you go in that way, someone can say, hey, this is my friend, Jenny. Jenny, she only has six of these skills that you list, but trust me, she's got the other two or she can pick it up. I know her. I can vouch for her. She's worth talking to. Again, that's more information, more valuable than why I'd get off a resume. Because now I have someone who knows her and can vouch for her and says, I validated these skills. Okay. In the interview, there's an, another spot where you could sort of validate those particular skills. And they may ask you about those skills that you know, maybe, okay, these weren't the ones that I checked. <laughs> These weren't the ones. Uh, how do you how do you get through difficult questions like that about talking about your past or your experience? First, recognize these questions should not be a surprise. Now, let's borrow a technique from public speaking. You know, if you're giving a talk in two weeks, you're not going to just sit there and suddenly walk up on stage and go, "Oh my god, I have to do a talk. What am I going to talk about?" You came up with your talk ahead of time. You practiced it. Now, we teach you don't memorize it word for word. Know where you're going. Know the stories. Know how to say it. But, of course, you're doing a little improvisation. You're, you're doing the actual words are going to be unique each time so it doesn't sound totally rehearsed. Well, guess what? Interviewing is a form of public speaking. You're not standing on a stage. You're not making very formal remarks. You're not even standing. But is public speaking? And guess what I'm going to ask you? Why did you leave your last job? Tell me about a time you failed. What are you looking for? All these questions. We know these questions. If you don't know them, do a web search. Practice these questions. Practice when you're driving to work. Practice when you're in the shower, waiting for the bus, whatever. Just take time in your head. Practice just like you would. Do a 30, 60, 90 second version. Do it again. Try it over and over. And now when you get the question, you know how to answer it. Right. I think about this in people that I've interviewed in the past, and it's there's there's some that are very nervous, and I try to calm them down as much as possible to try to get to know them. Like, I want to know, is, is this somebody that I want to work with on a daily basis? Is this somebody that's going to get the job done? Is this somebody that's going to, in many ways, make my life easier <laughs> you know, because they're going to be able to handle this and get the job done? Um, I was never trained in interviewing. Uh, let's talk about, we'll, we'll flip the sides here a little bit on the hiring manager side. Let's talk about it on that side. Like what should you be doing when sitting in the, the, the interviewer chair? You noted earlier, you said, well, I'm an entrepreneur. No one ever trained me. But the fact is even in big corporations, no one trains you. I know executives, right. <laughs> corporations, you know, say, well, yeah, I've never been trained. It's kind of like if you said to a 16 year old kid, Hey, you've been in the car with me before. You, you've seen how to drive, you know, steering wheel, brake, you get it. So here are the keys. <laughs> Best of luck. Try not to hit anyone. 
And yet that's what we do. We said, well, you've been in an interview before. So here you go. Go interview this person. Best of luck. Try not to hit anyone. That's what we do. And yet we also say people are our most important asset. So let's invest in finding that asset. I train up every company I'm at. I train them how to interview. We want to be conscientious of what we're looking for. Now, that job description is usually not the full set of what we're looking for. Yes, we need knowledge of this, experience with that. But as you noted earlier, you're looking for other things. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's teamwork. Maybe it's just a vibe. You need to figure out what these things are. Some people say, oh, I have to feel like I can get along with you. Others say, you know, I don't care. As long as you're not a horrible person, we don't have to be friends. <laughs> we just have to work together. Right. There's, there's a range of answers for any of these. But whatever it is, be conscientious in what are these other things that you need and then how will you measure them? How will you evaluate the candidate with respect to these attributes and make sure you you elicit that in the interview process? Yeah, it's uh, I, I always try to make them laugh a little bit. You know, I always try to have a little bit of fun and ask. I go serious question, silly question, serious question. You know, like throwing in a, what did you have for breakfast? Or, you know, something along those, like just totally throwing them off. And it's just like, I feel like I get sometimes more from the, what did you have for breakfast than some of the other questions? Because they just, they didn't rehearse it. They didn't know. And it's like, I feel like I'm getting a piece of them. And then they feel a little more relaxed. That hopefully is intentional. Now it says something about who you are in your culture. You're also seeing how do they react? Do right. then. One of the questions you don't necessarily prepare is what I have for breakfast this morning. You probably didn't rehearse that one. How are they when you're almost giving them whiplash? Right. I had a company, I was interviewing a VP of finance and I would do, the founders called it the lightning round because I just hit them with a, 10 rapid questions. And the founders were actually getting a little annoyed at me. It's like, like you know, you're, you're maybe being a little curt with them. What the founders didn't understand is the way they ran our management team meeting. They put 20 people in an hour-long meeting and said, oh, yeah, we're, you normally get your team together once a week, might be five, six people. They put 20 people in the room, 20 people in a room reporting together. That means you've got maybe a minute and a half because the other guy went long to get your point across. I mm -hmm. want to see someone in our fast-paced environment where you're yeah. – Short amount of time. Can you handle that? Right. So doing yeah. like that and is very intentional. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was doing because the the position was generally like I mean the whole company was we we dealt with many different things throughout the day. So you're anyway getting whiplash during the day, and I do like to get to know the the real person that I'm talking to, and I felt like that um, that was the the way to do it. And of course, at the end of the interview, I would ask, "What questions do you have for me?" And what always is a little odd to me is they don't have any questions. Okay, that, that comes up in every interview. So what are some of the questions that we should be asking? And by the way, you are judged on this. I am judging you totally. on the questions you ask. Because if mm -hmm. you don't have any, I'm thinking, uh, yep. does this person really care? Now, if, you, if this is a final round, you could say, hey, look, I've already read up on the company. I've done this. I've done that. I feel confident. But be explicit saying, I've had them all answered in prior rounds. But if nothing else, you should be asking about the culture, the environment. Ask about your manager's or potential manager's work style. Ask what the office culture is like. Ask them to describe it. Ask them, do people socialize much outside of work? What is a typical day like? Is it lots of meetings? Is it little meetings? Are people very email focused? Do they prefer chat, meaning Slack or other instant messaging tool? Or do they prefer talking in person? Understand these different distinctions because that's the part we can say, oh, this job, it's a senior accountant role. I get it. That's the title I'm looking for. But there's a big difference if you're spending four hours a day in meetings versus one hour a day in meetings. Right. You might like one and hate the other. Yeah. And that's not listed on the job description, but it's very important for you to find out. Yeah. One of the questions that I like to end when I'm being interviewed, I ask, based on what you learned about me today, is there anything to stop us from moving on to the next step? 
And that question, I, I love it because it, first of all, it kind of throws them off. And then also I sometimes learn something and they will actually say something and I can actually combat that, right? Oh, well, it, it doesn't look like you have enough, you know, email marketing experience. Well, actually, um, I worked on, you know, this, 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 and this, and I can com- combat that before I leave. Cause after I leave, I-, I can't say like, that's their opinion and I can't say anything about it. So I always ask that. What do, what do you think of uh, that type of question towards the end? I very much encourage it. Let's take this head on. Let's make sure, is there anything in the way? Now this, by the way, is a sales technique. Right. And this is important to understand because we are salespeople, both of us in the room. I, as the candidate, have to sell you that I am the best person for this job. And if you have any concerns, any doubts, I need to overcome those. That's what we talk about in sales. I'm trying to sell you my product. What are your objections? Oh, you're too expensive. Oh, you're not fast enough, your product. Oh, you don't integrate with what I need. Well, actually, so I want to make sure what your objections are and know how to overcome them. Same thing as a candidate. Now, as a hiring manager, it's the same thing. You are selling a job opening and you want to say, do you have any concerns? They should ask that as well. But as a candidate, spot on. In fact, everyone on both sides would do better by learning some basic sales skills. Understanding basic selling because in this moment, you are a salesperson. Yeah. Well, I was actually going to say the other sales skill that comes in handy, especially when you get to that question part is a bit of mirroring, right? Like you have now been sitting next to them for maybe 15, 30 minutes, however long the interview is, you sort of are getting a feel for their style on based on how they ask the questions and how they react to the question. So if you can actually ask a question and it's something that would be in alignment with their style. Like if they've asked you a bunch of questions about numbers and all of a sudden you ask, well, okay, so what are some of the key result areas on a monthly basis for this? It's like, whoa, okay, this guy gets it. <laughs> like he understands. And I would always love that. And I would, I would note that um, actually, especially when hiring salespeople, <laughs> like I, I would note that because that is a, that is a, a key thing on the, on the sales side. The thing is, not everybody is a salesperson, right? And and one of the things, one of the sales skills that definitely come into this is the negotiation. Now, once you've been offered that job, that's an offer, right? Like that is not a final number. And should you always go back and try to negotiate that? There may be some cases if it's a government job, for example, right. it may be said if you're right out of school, Certain companies say, this is what we hire at. Wall Street says, this is the base. This is how it works. If you don't like it, there's a hundred other people right outside that door who will take it. But in most other cases, you should negotiate. It doesn't hurt to try and negotiate. Now, people get worried, oh, am I going to blow the deal? If you're a jerk, yes. If you offer me, let's say you offer me, we're just going to use round numbers, $100,000. I go, screw you. I want one twenty. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that might not be the best way to start the negotiation. You're not coming off strong. On the other hand, if I say, hey, really excited about this offer. Thank you for that. I'm looking forward to us working together. You've offered me 100. I'd like to do 120 because as I look at what's happening in the marketplace, there's been a lot of wage inflation lately. I haven't had a boost in my own salary for the past five years. I'm really at that 120 level. So you want to justify your reason for asking. Because here's the thing. You can ask me for a number and I don't care. I truly don't care what you want, except I want you to take the job. So that's the only reason (laughs) I care. What you want doesn't matter. But if you can convince me you deserve that, then I'm more going to listen. Because frankly, I want a million dollars for every job. That's my want. (laughs) I can justify that 120 instead of a million. Right. Now, with that, is it just the money that you're negotiating or are there other items that you suggest negotiating like benefits or PTO or, or other perks, we'll say? Great question. The answer is yes. Any and all of it. Now, some things may not be negotiable. For example, the health plan. This is a health plan. You pick from one of these three options. 
I have a lot of equity in the companies I work with because I do a lot of startups. The amount of the equity I can negotiate, the vesting schedule, typically I can't because that's just set at a corporate level. What trips people up, they think, well, negotiation, it's hard. I want to focus on just one thing, just the salary before we negotiate equity or just the equity before we do vacation days. You actually want to negotiate it all together and do trade-offs. Negotiation is easier when you negotiate multiple things at once. Now, in a big corporate negotiation, you might be negotiating 20 different things in some corporate deal, not a job, but in a corporate partnership, let's say, you might not do all 20 at once, but you'll look at categories and say, let's negotiate these four things together, these three things, and learn to trade off. So it's okay to negotiate multiple things, more salary, less equity, more equity, less salary. So negotiate all of them together, but look at multiple fronts. I was going to say even hours, like, you you know, whether it's work hours, work from home, or even the amount of hours. Uh, I've, I've had hires where they've negotiated down to working, um, was it like 35 hours instead of 40 for the same pay that we were offering? Because, you know, I, I can't afford a babysitter, so I'm going to need to go home for two-hour lunches instead of one-hour lunches or something along those lines. And that's always negotiable as well. It can be. Now, we often think, oh, a title, you can give me a bigger title because that doesn't cost you anything. Or if you say, listen, right. my budget, it's maxed out at 100. I can't do the 120, but I just say 100. Say, okay, well, you know, 100's low, so instead of the 40 hours a week, I'll do 35. And, and it kind of works out in the same way. It gets me at hourly, effective hourly rate. But there are secondary consequences. When, for example, let, let's go back to the days when we weren't working from home, where everyone's in the office five days a week. Someone says, well, let me work from home one day a week. It doesn't cost you anything, except if I let you work from home one day a week, well, then right. my other employees say, hey, wait a second, I want to work from home. Oh, but right. not Fridays. Not Fridays like you do. I want to be off Thursdays. Someone else, well, I want to be off Tuesdays. Oh, my God, when can we schedule meetings? Because yep. who's around? Right. And, oh, you got this higher title. Wait, I want the higher title. So there are some secondary effects that they might push back mm-hmm. on. Definitely positively ask and try all these things. It's okay to be a creative, but recognize there might be some other constraints. Right. And should you uh, ask for more than you're expecting? Like you you mentioned the, the, the 100 or the 120. In that case, does that person actually want to settle at 110 or are they asking for this is my my final offer because I'm I'm assuming there's more negotiation to go back and forth there. Typically, there is. Now, this isn't the bizarre haggle of I'm going to name an outrageously high price and you're going to go with an outrageously right. low one. This isn't used cars. <laughs> but the best advice I ever got it came from a book called "Bargaining for Advantage" by Richard Shell. He's a Wharton professor of negotiations. He said your opening offer should be the biggest number you can ask for with a straight face. Mm. Use number as a proxy. It's not all just the one number. We said you're negotiating multiple things, but the biggest thing you can reasonably do. So again, I want a million dollars. I can't reasonably ask for a million dollars, but maybe knowing we're going to come in around 110, 120 even, maybe I could say, you know, if all the stars aligned, the market's pretty good, I feel pretty good about myself. I'm going to ask for 130 because that's not totally insane. It's not that million dollars where you're just going to laugh in my face. I'm going to ask for 130. I'm pretty sure you're going to say no. You're going to come back lower. But this isn't insultingly high. So I'm going to go with 120 or 130, whatever that is. So start with your top ask. Yeah, because that's sometimes what they do is they ask you in advance, well, what's your salary expectation? And that's, that can be a, a difficult question to answer. And I, I think in some states that's not even legal anymore. I'm not sure, but that's a tough question. What's not legal, you can't ask, what are you currently making? Gotcha. And by the way, even if it's not legal in your state, you should never say that because what I'm making with this company, it's not just salary. It's bonus. Right. It's equity. It's vacation. It's my personal growth. It's my enjoyment at the company. It's not one number, and I can't explain that to you. I actually put into my contracts, neither of us can disclose that information. So if mm. someone ever asked me that, go, hey, I'd love to tell you, but I'm not allowed to. 
I'll right. show you the contract. I've had someone say, really? I've never heard them. Like, yep, it's in my contract. I'll show you the redacted contract. You can't see the numbers, but I'll show you the contract that says I can't say it. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So I am talking with Mark Hirschberg on learning more. I am Russ with you. And we are talking about the career life cycle in many ways, right? Like going out and finding that job. Well, there's a last third of the book here about interpersonal dynamics, communications, networking, ethics. And, you know, the thing is, I feel like this section not only talks about finding the right job, but also keeping the right job, right? Ethics, communication, even internal networking is keeping the job. So, Mark, can you touch on that a little bit? 100%. This is where people fail because they think of networking as I just needed to get a job. But networking does so much more and building that internal network is so important. When you show up, you want to meet everyone. Like, hey, I'm Mark. I just started. I'm in the accounting department. Would love to just go out for coffee with you, learn more about what you do. Go and meet everyone. It's okay to be that new kid and ask around. Again, most people love talking about themselves, mm -hmm. asking about their job, their work. Context for the company helps you better understand where you're working, helps you deliver value. And here's the question you should end every conversation with. So after we've chatted, I've learned a little about you. What can I do to help you be more successful? Mm. That is a question you want to give to everyone you are meeting nice. or your coworkers because you're establishing, I want to help you. That's a great way to start a relationship. Nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I would love to, I mean, that's the thing. I would love to be able to respond to that to somebody new, you know, not, hey, you know, where's the break room? <laughs> like, what, what can I do to make your life easier? Uh, okay, so that uh that gets us to the point of of leadership um i saw a quote and I, I i wish i could remember who said this but it was something you don't quit a job you quit a leader there's um a, a lot of that going on right where people have realized okay this 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 role doesn't fit for me and it's not necessarily the role it's the person it's the leader let's first talk about um being in that situation of not enjoying the leader, like what do you what do you do in that position? Is is that just a quit it and forget it and move on, or like what can you do when you're in a position where the the leader is maybe going the wrong direction, or you just don't agree with them, or they're just not a good leader? What do you do in that position as an employee? This goes to what we talked about earlier. When during the interview process, I say, oh, it's a senior accounting job. Great. You know, check the box. That's the title I want running this type of accounting stuff. That's what I'm looking for. But then we didn't realize it's four hours of meetings a day and not one. And boy, I hate meetings. Or that the manager micromanages. Or that mm -hmm. she likes to do everything by email. And you're an in-person type of person. And so this is where the styles don't always work. Now, it could be the jerk manager, or it could just be a clash of styles. Could be this manager's a morning person and she likes starting with that 7 a.m. meeting and you're thinking, <laughs> oh my God, I do not want to be there at 7 a.m. <laughs> right. meetings. That's how it works. So we do quit the manager or more generally the environment, mm -hmm. the culture, which is typically dictated by our immediate manager because she or he is saying the tone for the team. When you are in a situation where you're saying, I am not happy, understand, is this temporary or structural? Temporary might be, hey, you're on this project for three months, and yeah, we all have projects and periods that aren't great. Right. It may be things are really under a tight squeeze because there's this hard deadline, and your manager, he's super stressed, and he's kind of being a jerk lately. He hasn't been for a while, but you can see he's under the pressure, and Everyone's saying you have to work long hours. Go, you know, once we hit this deadline, I know it will it will revert. Versus new manager comes in and this is his style and you don't like it. Or they've changed how the company they did a reorg and now you're doing something else. Now you have to put covers on multiple TPS reports and who wants to do that? Right. So <laughs> you have to decide is it structural? And if it is, can you change it? Can you talk to people? Can you alter it in some way? Can you find maybe an internal exit to transfer to another department? 
But if you say, nope, it's permanent, this is just how it is, and I don't see any way out, then it might be time for you to leave. You know, some people look at like quitting a job as like failure, right? Like I've seen that on Twitter posts and I've heard people say that. And I don't, I mean, I think it takes courage in, in, in many cases to quit a job, to know that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this leap and go on to something else. I I think it's a, it's a courageous moment because it, it, it can be difficult. You're taking a leap of faith on something new. I would say not always, but usually it is a sign of failure on the part of the manager. Because if you are a manager, you need to ensure people are happy and they get what they need. Now, I'm not saying you can do this all the time. When we teach negotiations, I always say it can be a successful negotiation even if there's no deal. If we sit down, we try to work something out, realize it's just not going to work, we go, great. We didn't get into a deal that's really bad for either of us. That's a successful negotiation. We explored, didn't work. Sometimes the job just may not be a fit. You may outgrow it. You've been here five years. It's time for you to take on something new. I don't have anything I can offer you at this company. I wish I could. Hey, okay, time to move on. It's not a failure on anyone's part. But if they're quitting you as the manager, that might be a failure on your part. Right. Now, what about the situations of you're in this role, you're like, okay, I, I'm thinking about leaving, I, I, or you you know, get called by a recruiter and you get another offer. Something like that is happening. Should you try to, once again, like negotiate for that position if it's somewhere where you want to stay? Negotiate for higher pay, things like that? I would be hesitant to just say, hey, listen, I have another job offer, so pay me $10,000 more or I'm leaving. Yeah, you don't want to hold them hostage. (laughs) Exactly. Because as soon as the tables turn, they're going to do that to you. They know you're being very mercenary. Now, you should be mercenary because, quite frankly, if revenue's down, someone's getting laid off and it could be you. But you don't want to be explicit about that mercenary mentality. You don't want to say, Mm -hmm. give me money or I'm gone tomorrow. Really, what you want to do is have a career plan. This goes back to chapter one in the book. Have that long-term plan. Know where you're trying to go. It's not just about, I can get $10,000 more across the street. Where do I want to be in two years, five years, 10 years? It's not just the money. It's not just the title. It's the growth. It's the responsibilities. It's what will make you happy. Money might be part of that. Title might be part of that. When you have this long-term career plan, you're not saying, oh, look, it's more money versus less money. You're then saying, which job looks better? Money's part of it. Could be the direction it's taking me in, the growth, the responsibility. Am I going to get to that next step? Am I going to get closer to my goal? Then you can come back and say, I'm looking at this other job. Here's why I like it. Yes, it's paying me $10,000 more, but also I get to start managing this team. I get to work with this type of tool or technology. I get to go in this direction. It's really compelling. I'd love to stay here, but I need to feel like I am moving in my ultimate direction here. It's not just about the money. That's a conversation your company should be willing to have. You know, you've mentioned title a couple of times. Do titles matter? They do. And we feel like they shouldn't. But remember, when you're applying to the job and I'm looking at your resume for those eight to 10 seconds... I'm skimming the titles. And if I see you're getting more senior titles, you're moving up, you're at the title of what you're looking for, the one right below, say, okay, I get. If you're the chief guy of fun and then you're the (laughs) coolest coder and then you have these wacky titles, in eight seconds, I can't figure that out. So titles do matter. Okay. And so should we, um, like, is that something... You mentioned earlier that's sort of not negotiable in in some ways. But if, let's say, we're offered a, a role and it's got one of the goofy titles that, and we're not a goofy person or we don't enjoy that, like that's not a reflection of us. Is that something that, that we can talk to them about? A title may or may not be negotiable. Okay. It depends. For example, I look at companies and they say, oh, we're hiring for a VP. I say, well, I typically have C-level roles. Can you make this? C-level, I go, okay, 
doesn't matter. You're reporting to the CEO either way. We're good with that. And they can do that because there's one of me. But if it's at the director level, for example, or a senior whatever, where you suddenly have five other people who say, me too, not in the in the traditional way we're using it now in the hashtag, but <laughs> hey, I also deserve that title, that right. um, something else. That's where it could be challenging. <laughs> there, One thing you can do is say, okay, here's the titles. You use these titles. Just want to make sure before I take this job, because this title is a little unusual, would you be okay if on my resume, after I leave, I use this other name for it? Instead of, I am chief of technical wizardry, can we just call it director of engineering? Like, I'm fine using that title inside, but <laughs> in the future when right. someone asks, what were you doing? Can I just say director of engineering? Go, sure, yeah, that's fine. I'll back you up. If anyone asks, I will say. So then I think it's okay to do that. Gotcha. All right. And so I guess the the the, the final question here, and, and somebody listening to the show may have already quit. <laughs> you know, especially with the numbers that we're looking at in here. In the middle of the show, they just said, I quit. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're like, oh man, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> uh, when should you quit your job? Should you already have something lined up or like, how do you, how do you do that? I will say I have at times quit without anything lined up. Now, when you have a current job and you have a new job offer, it's easy to do an apples to apples comparison. Current mm -hmm. job, there's some compensation, some enjoyment, some direction, probably some pain, some things you don't like. And then you look at this new job and say, well, I have a sense of it. And I've talked to the new manager and I seem to like her and the culture looks good. I know what the pay is. Great, I can compare. Is it worth leaving? If you don't have that, then you're going into uncertainty. I know my current pain. And again, you're probably not saying, I like where I am, but let me quit and see if there's something better. You're saying, I <laughs> right. can't stand to be here for another day. So that's the pain you're leaving. And that's very measurable in some sense. You're leaving for the unknown. Maybe you'll get that great job with a great boss and a great culture. Maybe you'll wind up in a job just as crappy. Maybe it's going to take you six months to find that job, but you only have three months of savings. So you have to recognize when you quit without something lined up, there is a range from low to high, from the taking forever to find something, not finding something great, but needing it because your money's running low to finding that dream thing. And so you have to be okay with that range. Now, if you have savings, you say, oh, I don't care if it takes a few months. If you've talked to someone ahead of time, talk to recruiters in the industry, if they're saying, oh, someone with your skills, you'll find something in a month. Say, okay, I only have four months of savings, but month, got some padding just in case. Great, I feel more comfortable doing it. So I would recommend if you're going to quit before having a job lined up, talk to a recruiter, talk to people in the industry, feel it out, get a sense instead of going into complete unknown to, oh, this is roughly how long it will take. This is what mm -hmm. the pay ranges are now. And I do recognize there are some people who say, I need to quit. I need to be working without another option. I just right. need to say, nope, no more. Okay, now I have to do it because otherwise each day I go, oh, I'm not happy, <laughs> but I'm so tired and um, I'll deal with it tomorrow and you right. put it off. So it, it's a personal decision, but understand what the two sides are. And also, I mean, I guess you're looking at the career plan that you talked about earlier. If you have one of those, it sort of makes these decisions a little bit easier. Uh, however, there was just this little thing, uh, this little p pandemic thing that happened that sort of <laughs> threw everything, everybody's plans went awry. When you have one of those plans and something major like that happens, how do you adjust? I'm assuming you're rewriting that plan, right? Great question. Think of your career plan the way you think of a project plan at work. Whenever you have a major project, you know you have to do a plan. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You'd never say to your boss, for this two-year project, yeah, I'm not going to bother with a plan. Uh, that's too much work. I'm just going to wing it. See right. in two years, fingers crossed we get there. That's insane. And yet we do that with our jobs. So five years, hope I wind up there. I don't know how. Cross my fingers. Mm -hmm. But that project plan at work, we know whatever plan we come up with day one, that is not exactly how it's going to unfold. <laughs> we know we're going to have to adjust that plan. We'll get blown off course. We know in March of 2020, every company said, 
I don't care what the budget was for this year. We're throwing it out the window. We have to refocus. And so the same thing happens to us. Now, sometimes it's a small change. The project you were on got canceled. Your boss just quit and they're asking you to be the leader of the team. Start so oh, how is this going to affect my plan? Is that the next step for me? Sometimes there are major things, things outside your control, like pandemics. And when that happens, because you have the plan, it's like when you're driving on a cross-country trip and all of a sudden that highway you were on, sorry, folks, highway's closed, major snow incident. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, well, I know where I'm going. Let me look at the other routes and figure out which is my best option. If you don't have that map, if you don't have that plan, you say, oh, well, um, highway's closed. What do we do now? And you start picking roads randomly, you go nowhere. So by right. having your career plan, hey, that path you're on got blocked by the pandemic or some other global event, recession, find an alternate route. But you still know your destination and you've probably looked at a few other paths to get there in creating the plan. Mark, I, I, I thank you for the extra time here. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd only plan this to go a half an hour and I could just, I feel like I could talk to you all night because this is fantastic advice. We do have to have to, have to mention your, your website um, and your book, uh, the, the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Uh, that's also available on, on your website, right? It is. You can go to thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can see where to buy it, Amazon, of course, other places, including local bookstores. You can follow me on social media or, again, touch with me. You can see more content I put out in my weekly blog posts. There is a free companion app to the book that you can download from the Android and iPhone stores, and that's linked from the website. That's going to help you retain the tips or even just check out the book before you buy it if you're not yet sure. And then there's the resources page, which has questions to help you create your career plan, questions that you should ask during the interview process. It has a guide for how you can develop these skills across your entire organization. So a bunch of free resources on the resources page. And all of this can be found at thecareertoolkitbook.com. And that is linked in the podcast description. It's also available on our website, a link over to that book. Again, Mark, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening and subscribing to Learning More. We encourage you and thank you for rating this podcast and sharing it with your friends. As with any podcast that gives medical or legal opinion, all of the information is not meant to substitute professional advice. And we encourage you to consult a professional to discuss your exact needs. On the next Learning More, we are going to learn about career burnout. Yeah, we're, we're going in a little bit deeper on this. We've, we've talked about what you do once you've quit your job. Well, maybe next week we'll figure out if you should quit your job. <laughs> yeah. Are you burnt out? Many people are. Well, we're going to learn more about that next week from Kyla Kofer. If you've got something that you would like to learn more about, just let us know. Head over to our website, suggest future episodes, ideas, comments, anything like that, Learning More Podcast. Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. I'm Russ, and I look forward to learning more with you next time.